the farmer who grows crops needs to take a few steps before he would actually see a harvest. There's a wee picture of a farmer there. First steps that the farmer would have to take, he would need to first obtain the land. There's no point looking for a harvest without land, is there? Then he needs to plough up the ground. And, and you know, ploughing up is hard work, isn't it? It's just not, it's no easy thing. It's a hard task. Because the ground is often very, very hard and dry. So he's got to plough it up. He's got to, he's got to break it up. Then he gets the seeds in his hand and he sows those seeds. Then after the seeds are sown, he's got to care for the land. He's got to fertilise the land. He's got to water it. He's got to look after it day by day. And then sometimes after he sows the seeds, the birds come, as we read in the parable of the sower, and the birds come and they steal some away in the midst of the process. But do you not see that this whole process of being a farmer requires faith? He really is uh, sowing seeds into this ground by faith. He's believing that these seeds will grow into a harvest, doesn't he? And over an extended, long, quite a long period of time, usually, the farmer continues to tend to this land. And for the seed that is embedded in it. And once, at a later point in time, the seed grows, the seed then needs to be harvested because there's now a crop there to be brought in. And when the farmer harvests the crop, probably will need a wee bit of help at this point. Because although one man was out doing that, when the harvest comes, he'll need workers to be with him in the job of pulling in the harvest. You see, a farmer's job is a long-term job, isn't it? It needs an awful lot of patience. It needs persistence day to day. And he needs to have faith to believe that the harvest will come. Today's message is called Sowing a Seed, Expecting a Harvest. Let's turn to Galatians in the New Testament in chapter 6, verse 7. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It will be on the screen, it will be in the New International Version. Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The Apostle Paul here was writing this letter to Christians, Christian believers. <coughs> and he was using this imagery of sowing and reaping. And the question that Paul asked of the believers then still applies to all of us here as believers today. The first question is, what are we sowing? What are we sowing? 
you know, you can take from this passage, there's two ways to sow. You can sow into a sinful lifestyle, a lifestyle that isn't appropriate to what God's Word has taught us to be. We can have sinful attitudes and behaviours that are, again, not what God has taught us to be. And Paul highlights that the result of sowing that type of behaviour and that type of lifestyle is destruction. And remember, he's talking to believers. And that that particular harvest doesn't sound like a very good harvest, does it? As, as the farmer sows the seed, the, the, the goal is not to have destruction at the end of it. The goal is to have a good, fruitful harvest. So the picture here is there's, there's real danger in, the, in as, all as believers sowing into this sinful nature and continually walking in a way which wouldn't be alongside God's work. It's a dangerous thing. But there's another way. We can sow to please the Spirit. We know there it's referring to the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, which inhabits every believer in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful truth that is, isn't it? God's Spirit is within you as a believer. But we still have a choice. It's an act of the will. We can still choose to walk by the Spirit or by our sinful nature. We have to make a choice. So what is sowing to please the Spirit? Well, that would include a life that is pleasing to God, a life that would be a good witness to, to God. And it would also include sowing the good news message of Jesus Christ to the world, which is what believers are called to do, isn't it? That's what we're all called to do individually. It's what the church's mission is, to sow the seed of the good news of the love of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of Christ to save the world. And the harvest when we do these things that we receive, the harvest we receive is eternal life. Praise the Lord. First of all, we receive, we do see, receive eternal life when we become a Christian. We are guaranteed with the seal of the Holy Spirit, the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus at Calvary. We're guaranteed eternal life in heaven. Praise the Lord for that truth. But you know there's a life now. There's a quality of life now in the Holy Spirit that God is calling me to. And God is calling you to. And I'm not all the way there. And I'm sure you would agree maybe you're not as well. Paul said, I'm not where I should be. But I press on towards the goal for all that Christ has called me to. You know, Christ when he died on the cross at Calvary, he died to save us from our sins. But do you know something? He died to save us from our sinful life as well. And this is maybe not something we've all experienced in its fullness. But I believe God has it for us. He has it for me. He has it for you. And he's asking us to press on to more of this spirit-filled life. Receiving this life now, this fullness of life now, as well as life for all eternity. This is actually what really living is all about. When God is living in us, God is directing us and working through us. As believers in Jesus, we are to live lives that shine the light of Jesus into a dark world. Um, 2 Corinthians 4 it says this therefore since through God's mercy we have received this ministry we do not lose heart rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways we do not use deception nor do we distort the word of God for God who said let the light shine out of darkness has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God 
and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now today as Christians, we're called clearly to shine out the light of Jesus from our lives. His light is in us, the light of the glory of Christ. And we're called to share with others that Jesus Christ is Lord. And just a question to ask of myself, and I'm asking these questions of myself today, believe me, and all of us, are there any things in our life or our behaviour that are holding back that light? That are holding back that light and stopping it from shining to its fullest? You notice verse 2, he says, Rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. I remember he's talking to believers, so it's clear that as believers in Jesus, we need to renounce those things that we've done in secret, those shameful things we've done that's wrong. And not to be de- deceiving in the way that we behave, trying to hide something. Not taking the word of God as well and distorting it, and using it just to suit the way that we're living. Jesus said these words in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven you see there he's talking about faith and action he's saying your good deeds, your behaviour is going to shine out towards all men and that's how they'll know about me remember he said if you love one another as believers that's how the world's going to know about me so our behaviour really really matters How how we treat each other how we show love to each other so that was the question there. Are there any things in our life that God would just just speak to us about that would need to be removed or changed? Also, uh, are there any issues in our life that are causing us just to feel so hard-pressed on every side, side that we're really just struggling to go on? And this is, a, this is something that happens. I know there's a lot of folk in the fellowship at the moment going through difficult times, or you've recently gone through difficult times. Notice the wording in this passage. Paul says, we're hard pressed, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. We don't understand why did this need to happen? What's all this going on for? We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted. Why does it need to be so difficult? Why does there need to be such opposition? Why every time we try and do something, ten things come against us? We're persecuted. But we're not abandoned. We're struck down. Maybe we've done something stupid. It's our own mistake that's caused us to fall. Maybe someone else has struck us down. It's been a hurtful thing. We're struck down. But we're not destroyed. We're not destroyed. Praise God that even though at times we're under severe pressure as believers. And we do feel ourselves individually and we do sometimes contribute to that pressure God is our strength in the midst of it and he is our saviour forgiving us when we do fall helping us when there are situations that are just so pressing us that we feel we cannot get through it God is our strength right in the middle of it and it says that he will display his all surpassing power do we believe that today? That in Jesus Christ, we have all surpassing power. His power is available to each one of us in the midst of our pressure. 
believers in Jesus have this all-surpassing power within them to face every trial. We're to sow the seed of the gospel in the light of Jesus, both in our words and in our actions and behaviour. Let's turn to Psalm 126. It would be useful just to turn to that. Psalm 126. How are we sowing? How are we sowing? Psalm 126. Verse 1. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things uh, for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Now most of the Psalms were written during the reign of King David, the great psalmist and songwriter. But these words appear to be pointing to something in the future, many centuries after David. This was the release of the Jews after they'd been in captivity in Babylon. This doesn't rule out the fact that that's what it's about just because it wasn't written by David. Not all of them were. And in the context there, when the people of Israel came back from captivity in Babylon to their homeland, they were dreaming. They were laughing. And they were singing. They were singing songs of joy. And other people around them uh, noticed this. They said, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for them. And the people of Israel gave thanks to God. They said themselves, the Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Joy, laughter, dreaming, singing, songs of joy. If you remember our recent study in the the book of Haggai, um, we saw what happened when the people had came back from captivity. And eventually the people lost heart. Do you remember that? They lost heart. They faced opposition. And they had eventually lost focus on the mission that they had been given. Which was to rebuild the temple. And the problem here was they hadn't put God first. And they'd returned to their own plans. They were building their own houses and doing their own thing. The rebuilding of the temple stopped completely. And as a result of this disobedience to God, the drought continued year after year and the thing that was so crucial to them, the harvest was very, very poor it was terrible, year after year but then came a time when God spoke through Haggai the prophet the Lord said to the people, consider your ways think about what you're doing think about your behaviour, think about your courses of action and rebuild the temple And it was amazing actually in that story. The people immediately started, responded to that call. They started to walk in obedience to God. They continued God's work of rebuilding the temple. This was a step of personal obedience for each one individually. And also together as a group, they agreed together they would obey God. And God said in response to that in Haggai 2.19, From this day on, I will bless you. And probably just a thing to take out of that, is that although we're saved by grace and not by works, it's very important in the lives of us believers that we strive to 
seek holiness in our lives. We strive to be together in a, in a loving, caring fellowship and seek the Lord in, in every aspect of our lives and walk, walk in it. The psalmist in 1 2 says, Restore our fortunes, verse 4. Well, this could also mean there were still some captives still to come back from captivity. They were probably saying, Restore more captives in. Can you bring more captives in to be released? This could also mean restore our own spiritual relationship with God that's grown cold over these years that we haven't walked with Him. Restore our spiritual prosperity. Bring joy back, God. Bring, bring the songs back. Bring back the time when we laughed. And we dreamed, and we had joy in our hearts. But you know, it's hard work sowing the seed for the Lord. The ground is often hard. And people's hearts can be very hard towards God and towards us. And it can be very discouraging over time as we hit that hardness, can't it? The Israelites were sad as they looked back the way to the previous times they'd had that were so joyful. And now the ground, was, the ground was so hard. The ground was so hard. They were planting on this ground that was hard. And it seemed to be so unfruitful. But God said, don't look back. Look ahead. Look ahead. And walk in obedience to him. And they did. Sometimes we sow in tears. Dr. John Henry Jewett said, Ministry that costs nothing, accomplishes nothing. You've heard the stories over the year of the missionaries. What a cost. What a sacrifice. I spoke to someone recently from Pakistan who told me he's never seen anything like the believers in Jesus. He says because they put their faith to action. They do things to help people. That wasn't coming from me, it's coming from someone from there. And he told me of all the Christians that had been there, all the churches that they had planted there, all the good things they had done. There was a sacrifice in that. Now there would have been seeds sown with tears. Warren Wearsby says this, If you water the seed with your tears, you will one day rejoice as you bring in the sheaves. That's the harvest. The bundles. This is the formula for a harvest. Going, weeping, sowing, Weeping. It says in verse 5 Those who sow in tears will weep with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. This sowing in tears that we're talking about could represent the difficulty we have on working the land that has become so hard. It was agonizing, it was frustrating at times, and it required a great effort. And even tears to continue with the task that was at hand. And as Christians today, we go through very, very hard times. With relationships, family issues, illnesses, job problems. And I know many of us in the fellowship today are going through very hard times. And I pray these verses will be an encouragement to every one of us as we continue to serve the Lord. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. As believers, God has given us the land to work on. He's given us the ground to work on. But we need to keep on sowing. 
even when we can't see anything happening. The ground is very hard in Scotland. The ground is hard in Middlesbrough. But praise God for what we've already seen happening in Middlesbrough. As we sow the seed of the love of Jesus throughout the week in the coffee house, on Friday nights, in day-to-day conversations with people, we have the opportunity to regularly share the good news of Jesus with other people. But remember, this is just the beginnings. It's just the beginning of the process. This is a sowing work like the farmer with a long-term vision. This is preparation for our future harvest. Thank you, Lord. God has a great harvest awaiting us here in Middlesbrough, don't we? Yes. God has asked us to share the love of Jesus and the gospel in this town, praise the Lord. And we're already seeing evidence of the seeds starting to grow. Can you see it? Let's give God thanks today. You know, we don't just give God thanks when the harvest comes in. We always give thanks to God. One of the mistakes that people made was when nothing was happening, they forgot to give thanks. They came with tears. And yes, there are tears in our difficult situations, but let's not forget to give thanks. All that God has done for us, all that he continues to do, and all that he will do, he's worthy of our thanks. And we're already seeing evidence of things starting to go here. Oh, what joy there is when we continue in God's word and we don't look back, but we trust that God will give us the strength we need to press through our tears into songs of joy. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We will return, you know, with songs of joy. We can't just quite totally see it all yet, but we are going to carrying the sheaves with us. You know, I looked up the word sheaves. Do you know what that means? It says a quantity of the stalks and the ears of the individual cereal or grass or plant. And they're bound together. A whole bundle of things bound together coming in. It's something resembling a sheaf of grain. It's a large amount or number. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about when God is bringing in a harvest. Jesus used the illustration of a mustard seed. An interesting thing about a mustard seed is that it is a very, very small seed, as we can see there in the picture. It's tiny. It's a very small seed, but it grows into a large tree. Look at the size of that. Uh, have you ever felt small? I have. Have you ever felt small? Have you ever felt that what you're doing for God is small? Have you ever felt that it isn't growing into anything? It hasn't really had any results. That it really isn't going to make a difference in people's lives. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If your faith is small as that mustard seed, 
You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. As believers in Jesus, we sow the seed of the gospel, but we sow it with faith. We just sow it aimlessly. We sow it believing in God to move. This is faith to believe that God can move the mountains. That God can change those hard hearts of men. They are hard, but God can change them. He can move that mountain in Jesus' name. We need to believe that for our families, for our friends, and for our community. God can break down barriers, man-made barriers that are not helpful to community or society in general or or running to God. He can break them down. He can move the mountain. God can do absolutely anything. Nothing is impossible for God. But we need to believe that. We need to really trust that in our hearts. We need to really believe that God will intervene and he will move the mountains that we face. It doesn't mean that the whole situation is going to be taken away, that God will see us through. A mountain represents an obstacle we can't see where we can take our next step. God says, I'll move that mountain if you tell it to move, if you ask me to move. In Jesus' name. Do we believe that today? I'm believing that. I'm not going on any further without believing that. As a fellowship together, we've seen God move mountains. We really have. He's done it before. He's still doing it. And he will continue to do it as we continue to sow the seed of the gospel in obedience, personally and as a group. And as we do it, believing God's going to do great things. So we've looked at, firstly, what are we sowing? And two, how are we sowing? And thirdly, only God can make things grow. 1 Corinthians 3, 5. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each of his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters have uh, are anything, but only God who makes things grow. Amen. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. So clearly, as the Apostle Paul is talking here to believers, he's noticed that the attention of the church has been on him and Apollos. Who are we following? Who's the one calling the shots? But Paul says, neither me or him or anything, but only God, who causes things to grow. He's pointing the people's attention away from themselves as individuals, as people, and onto the Lord. Because only God is to get the glory for any of this work. Only God can make things grow. And growth takes time. It takes some time. Someone has said this. There's seed, time, harvest. Seed is sown, and then we wait. And I would suggest to there, as believers, we pray, and we pray, and we pray, in faith. And God makes it grow. Then comes the harvest. Praise God. In Mark 4, 
We have the parable of the growing seed, Mark 4.26. Jesus said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or get up, gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the spot, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. The growth of a seed is a miracle. It's a miracle. We don't understand fully what is happening with that. But God has created seeds in such a way that miraculously they start to grow. All by itself, it says, all by itself the soil produces grain. So we can't make anything grow. We can't make the seed grow. And God has created such wonderful things And he is in the business of doing miracles. Even with things that seem very, very small. Verse 30 of the same passage, Jesus says the parable of the mustard seed. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. So, applying that to ourselves today, as we work in God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, things that we're doing may seem small. Our efforts may seem small. And sometimes the results seem small. But God takes the seed that is sown, and he makes it grow big. He makes it grow big. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And remember, only God can make things grow. Now in closing, let's turn to the last two verses of our open passage in Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10. Don't give up. Let us become... Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. There's one thing you're going to take away from this message today. Three words. Don't give up. David Wilkinson, from Times Square Church in New York, was a man that followed God's call to go into New York when all the odds were against a ministry starting in there. It's a dark, dark place. This man of faith went in and has seen the, the founding of the Teen Challenge um, drug rehabilitation program, which is incredibly successful. It's all over the world. And a church of over 3,000 members is standing strong and sending missionaries all over the world. And this man just stood in the streets and he loved people. He just loved people. And he also prayed for people. And he believed that God was a big God. And that even those cases that folks had thought God could never change that person or that person. He was in there with the gang, the gang lines, the drug lords. And many of you would have heard the whole story of Nicky Cruz, one of the early converts. This was an impossible situation this man stood in. But he didn't stand in his own strength and I've heard him preach many times. This man stands and he's a frail looking man when you see him. He's not the best speaker in the world. But he's a man of prayer. He's a man that knows he's got a great God. And he doesn't give up in his God. 
And this is what he says, he's got a blog that he writes, and this is what he said on Friday, October 22nd. Delayed answers to prayer. Most of us pray as David did. In the day when I call, please answer me speedily. Psalm 102. I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Psalm 69, 17. Now the Hebrew words for speedily suggests, right now, please hurry up. In the very hour I call, on you please do it. David was saying, Lord, I put my trust in you, but please hurry up. God is in no hurry. He doesn't jump at our commands. In fact, at times you may wonder if he'll ever answer you. You cry out, you weep, you fast and hope, but the days go by, weeks, months, even years, and you don't receive even the slightest evidence that God is hearing you. First you start questioning yourself. Something must be blocking my prayers. You become perplexed. And over time your attitude towards God becomes something like this. Lord, what do I have to do to get this prayer answered? You promised in your word to give me my answer and I prayed in faith. How many tears must I shed? Why does God delay answers to sincere prayers? It certainly isn't because he lacks the power. And he is most willing for us to receive from him. No, the answer is found in this verse. He spake a parable unto them that men ought always to pray and not faint. Luke 18.1 The Greek word for lose heart or faint in the King James Version means to relax, to become weary or weak in faith. To give up the fight. To give up the struggle. No longer wait for completion. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The Lord is seeking for our praying people who will not relax or grow weary of coming to him. These people will wait on the Lord, not giving up before the work is completed. And they will be found waiting when he brings the answer. Just as we close, doesn't it sometimes seem impossible in in your natural mind to think that God has a harvest of people to come into his kingdom in Middlesbrough? But it's not impossible. And I believe God wants us to respond in faith, believing that he is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, Ephesians 3.20. It isn't too hard for God. In fact, I believe that God has already declared that there will be a great harvest for his kingdom in Middlesbrough. So don't give up. Don't give in to the enemy's schemes. God himself is going to accomplish this and make it grow. God will never let you down personally. Even if he seems to be delaying in an answer or something that's really troubling you, he'll never let you down. Even if there's no evidence of progress in the situation. God is faithful and he will accomplish his work in our own lives and in the fellowship of believers together. As we move in obedience to his word, we will, we will see a harvest. We will see a harvest. As we sow, we sow a seed, we expect a harvest. What are we sowing? We have to sow to please the Lord, according to his word. How are we sowing? With thanksgiving, even through tears and difficulties and striving. 
and we acknowledge only God can make things make things grow. And we call out to him, asking him for him to move in whatever situation we face. And finally, we don't ever, ever give up. God will never let you down. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word to us. And we thank you that we don't need to give up because you haven't given up on us. And God, I thank you that you didn't, you didn't stop when it came to making a sacrifice for us on the cross. You didn't stop. You went all the way to Calvary. You pressed through the tears and the suffering and the pain. And you went there because you loved each and every one of us. And you saw through time to now. And you know exactly who we were. And you loved us. And I thank you, Lord, for not giving up on us. I thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice for each and every one of us. And we thank you that today you do not give up on us, Lord. And I just pray in Jesus' name you would give us your Holy Spirit's power, Lord God, to live for you, to respond to this message. It seems too hard for individuals to do, Lord God, but it's not too hard for the Lord. And we thank you for this fellowship, Lord God. Thank you for every person in it, every family represented, Lord God. And we just pray in faith that you would so work in our lives and in our families and friends that we would see many, many coming to faith in Jesus Christ as our Saviour. And Lord, although we don't see things right now, Lord God, we believe in faith that it's your will for people to be saved and not to be lost. So we just think of those that trouble us, Lord, those that we pray for, and we just again acknowledge that although there may be a delay, you are listening, you are faithful, and we believe in faith, Lord God, that you're going to move. And Lord, we do thank you for this fellowship. We thank you for every opportunity we have to share this good news of Jesus Christ with the local community. And we pray in the coffee house and everything that happens in and around the fellowship here, Lord God, that your light would so shine <coughs> that few people would accept Jesus as a saviour. And that we would see large groups of people coming in to your kingdom, saying, thank you, Lord, you've saved my life. And Lord, we thank you that we can see this in faith. And that, that it is your will, Lord God, we're failing. We're, 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 we're praying for. And Lord, we do acknowledge our weaknesses, our failures. We ask you to forgive us, Lord, for those times when we've not walked in the way that you wanted us to. And we thank you that forgiveness is available. Your mercy is new every morning. And it's by grace we're saved. So we just ask a forgiveness and cleansing, Lord, and that you would help us to resolve to go on with you, God, to work for you, and to see these good things happening, Lord God, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.